Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. Rhythms for a life that thrives, Selah. And today I'm talking about fasting, and I can hear what some of you are thinking. You think Some of you are thinking, I'm sure glad I skipped breakfast this morning because now I can feel a little self-righteous while this is being preached. <laughs> Others are thinking, I wonder how he's going to make fasting interesting because I'm not really a big true believer in fasting. I used to be a really big believer in feasting. There's lots of feasts in the Bible. Feasting's, feasting is a spiritual principle. It's important. Feasting was so important that you were excommunicated from Israel if you failed to show up to the banquets. Isn't that interesting? A family supper night, first Sunday of the month, show up or get out. <laughs> you don't come, you have no place. It's a little extreme. But fasting is got some very, very important things. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he says, when you fast, you're going to read this in tomorrow's devotional because I read ahead on it. But if, if you're a part of our online devotional, which I would encourage you, please go on our, on, on our web page or our Facebook page. You can join our online, de, online devotional and become a part of that. But Jesus said, he didn't say if you fast, he said when you fast. So there's just this implied assumption that you're going to fast if you're a follower of Jesus. But what is fasting for? What is the purpose behind fasting? Why, why would we fast? It, like, just, from a, just from a perspective of, well, why would I deny myself something that I want? Why, why would I do that? Well, there's some, good purpose, there's some good reasons, but before we do that, I want to read from Psalms chapter 42. And I want us to just take a moment and... Maybe just close your eyes for a moment. Maybe take another deep breath. It says, as the deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. In Psalm 73, who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. David's describing a relationship here. That a relationship with God that goes much beyond just a casual belief in God's existence. He's describing a relationship that has become the very life sustenance, the very air he breathes. And I think if a lot of us are honest, we would say, I don't quite get that. I don't, what, how can a, how can a relationship with God become the, the highest source, the highest priority, but also the highest source of fulfillment in life? I think David is showing us, this verse shows us, there is a type of relationship. There's a type of relationship with God that transcends this world, that is greater than anything in this world. 
And if we're honest, most of us don't have this kind of relationship with God. Or we, we get glimpses of it at times or at moments. We get, we get glimpses or we get insights. But it's a challenge. I tend to put more faith in my paycheck than I do in God's presence when it comes to my long-term security. And I'm like the professional Christian in the room. <laughs> to have all of my confidence in God and God alone, that's a challenge. That is a challenge. And I find there's a world that contends for my attention. More than my attention, it contends for my affection. But the reality is there is a way of living the spiritual life that goes beyond all the physical comforts, can become our very lifeblood. But this way of life is elusive, and it's not achieved by accident. And the question I want to ask us is, do, we, do I hunger for this type of relationship with God? Or am I content to just keep God in the, you know, Sunday morning from 10.30 a.m. till noon-ish, depends how long-winded the preacher is, like... Am I, do, is my heart, is, is, it, is the core motivation to say, I want, God, I want to know you in a way like David describes. The way the psalmist describes that, that you are the strength of my heart and you are my portion forever. See, we live in a war of desires, don't we? We live in, you know, it's, it's called, we're Canadian, but it's called the American dream just in case you didn't know we're in Canada. <clears throat> but the American dream is basically this. You can pursue happiness. You can pursue happiness. You can, whatever you want, you can have it. You can pursue it. And while there are differences between us and our American neighbors, the pursuit of more is a primary driving force in Western culture today. The pursuit of more drives our economies. It drives, it drives much of what we do. And we, we almost equate the pursuit of happiness and personal freedom as the path to personal fulfillment. Yet, if we look statistically, North America is getting sadder and sadder. Mental health issues are on the rise in unprecedented numbers. The use of antidepressants has risen 400% in the last 20 years. White middle-aged North Americans, white middle-aged North Americans are three times as likely as anyone else, any other ethnic group on the planet to be using antidepressants. And we have to stop and ask the question. This isn't I'm not I'm not bashing antidepressants, what, what I always like to say is, why? Why are we needing more comfort? Why are we needing more numbing when we're, we've, we're supposedly so free to pursue happiness? Why, aren't, why are we getting sadder? Why are we getting less happy? What are we missing? 
Is the pursuit of happiness and personal freedom really the thing that will lead us to happiness? What are we missing? And more importantly, what's the solution? We're all seeking a great life, but what is a great life? And I think the, the challenge in, in modern living is that we have so much comfort around us and we're, we're, we're really taught that comfort and ease is the good life. You know, when, when they show commercials for retirement, they don't, they don't show some guy up on a roof put, putting on shingles. They don't, they don't display that as that's success at 60. That's not Freedom 55. They show people on beaches with nothing to do. And that's success. But in our minds, we're being programmed to think comfort and ease is success. I think to David, success looked different. The pursuit of happiness, I just want to just leave this out here for you. The, the pursuit of happiness doesn't lead to happiness. Trying to be happy won't make you happy. The pursuit of God. The pursuit of God is something that leads us to a place of happiness. We have this thing called spiritual practices. And we, we've talked in the, last, in the last couple of years, we've talked a lot about this. We've ca called it the way, uh, the way of life, the rule of life, spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices. It's just, these aren't magic. And as soon as you start in, putting them into effect in your life, you'll, you soon realize, like, this isn't magic. Like, this isn't, this isn't transforming my life overnight. But what it is, spiritual practices, they're not a quick fix. But what they are is they're a path to walk down. As, as one famous theologian said, they're a long walk of obedience in the same direction. It's a long path that we walk that leads us to a good place. Spiritually speaking, it leads us to a place that's permeated with God's presence. It's not that problems are absent. It's that God's presence is greater than the problems. God's comfort is more real than the, the affliction of circumstance. Spiritual practices, that are, they're routines that move us towards God. And it's like we say at church, what is, the, what is the three key statements at City Life? Two. Okay, we're going to work on this. <laughs> the three key traits, the core value, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, carry on the mission of Jesus to our world. The, the goal of these practices is those three things. The first goal, be with Jesus. It all starts with being with Jesus. The goal of practices is to bring us to a place where we're with Jesus, where we're becoming like Jesus, and we're doing what Jesus did. Be with Jesus. 
become like Jesus and carry on the mission of Jesus. The routines that lead us to a life filled with God. They are not magic. And they don't, they don't just, after three weeks of doing them, they just, oh, okay, I got that done. It's a lifetime. It's a lifetime in the right direction. A lifetime, a long walk of obedience in the same direction. Spiritual practices. Why do we, why do we talk about them? Well, you're more likely to practice your way into happiness than you are to pursue your way into happiness. You're more likely, you're more likely to find happiness in the practices than you'll than you're going to just trying to go be happy. And so spiritual practices, they kind, they kind of come down to two kinds. There's acts of resistance and there's acts of embracing. Acts of resistance, those are the practices, like if we're going to be honest, they're harder. It's like, this is, a, you know when you, when you say, I'm just not going to eat any sugar this week. I'm just not going to eat any sugar. That's an act of resistance. How many you win on a regular basis? How many you lose on a regular basis? You know, acts of resistance are, they're the, they're the harder practices. And then there's acts of embracing. It's, it's things we choose to do because they'll, they'll bring us to a better place. An act of embracing is, I'm going to get on an exercise program in 2023. That's, you're embracing something. You might say, I'm resisting the bread and sugar, but I'm embracing the exercise. Those are just kind of two practices. One's embracing, one's resisting, but they both lead us to a better place. So, let's talk about fasting. What is fasting? Fasting is an act of resistance in order to employ another act of embracing. So fasting, technically fasting is just when we give something up. In the traditional sense, it's food. And it's, it's when we just say, I'm just not going to eat for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, that's a tough one. I don't recommend you do that every month. Some of you had to go to your math skills for a minute. <laughs> but fasting, fasting is an act of resistance. But the purpose of fasting is not just the act of resistance. The purpose of fasting is so you can embrace something different. It's, it, in the biblical sense, it's you're setting aside that time of eating so that you can set aside a time. You can take that time and substitute it for a time of seeking, a time of seeking God time of prayer. Fasting is when we deliberately remove something in our life that we hunger for in order to focus on something we desire more. It's fighting uh, John Piper in his book, A Hunger for God, which if you're wanting to read a book on fasting, it's a very good book. Uh, he, it says it's, a, it's fighting for a higher hunger it is a chosen weapon against every force in the world that would take the satisfaction of God away. It's the, the things that fill us that aren't necessarily good for us. Edward Farrell writes, The weakness of our hunger for God is not because God is unsavory, but it's because we keep ourselves stuffed with other things. 
Perhaps then the denial of the stomach's appetite for food might express or even increase our soul's appetite for God. When God becomes the supreme hunger of our hearts, he will be supreme in everything. I love this. John Piper, in this, in this book, he, he writes this. It's a bit of a longer section, so just hang with me. But it's just so profound. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but it's the endless nibbling at the table of the world. <laughs> like, could you say Christmas? How many of you are like this? It's like you, Chris, time for Christmas, dinner comes around, and it's like, I'm not hungry at all. Because you've been like eating, there's hot wings, and there's like sourdough bread, and there's like cheese, and there's little mini sausages, which Costco finally started carrying again. And <laughs> but supper comes around, and it's like, what do you guys want to eat? You're just like, nothing. <laughs> I want to eat nothing. It's kind of like that with the world and our appetite for heaven. We just kind of snack at the table of the world. Little Netflix here, little entertainment there, little cat video on the side. <laughs> and that, that deeper hunger in our heart, it just doesn't have a chance to do anything because it's constantly getting beaten down with spiritual junk food. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you have drunk deeply of him and are satisfied. It is because you've nibbled so long at the table of the world, your soul is stuffed with small things. And there's no room for the great. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but they're the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the, idol the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. My assumption so far is that good things can do great damage. Oxen and fields and marriage can keep you out of the kingdom of heaven, which is why Jesus says, no one of you can be my disciple who does not bid farewell to all of his own possessions. We must ask ourselves the question, do I really hunger for God? Do I miss him? Do I long for him? Or have I become content with his gifts? More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. Fasting reveals the measure of food's mastery over us. Fasting reveals the measure of Netflix mastery over us, or technology's mastery over us. The things that we fast, and it doesn't have to be just food. In fact, I would recommend it's not just food. I would recommend take, take, take seasons where you fast from technology. Oh, you'll go through withdrawals. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever intentionally done that? Just said, I'm not going to pick up my phone for a day. Do you find, like, do you find, like, you actually, like, you grab your pocket? It's like, you get ghost vibrations? <laughs> it's like, like, I'm sure that was a call. I'm sure that was a call. One of the greatest holidays we ever went on, was the first time we ever went to Costa Rica. And we went, and the first day I'm there, brand new phone, the battery burnt. 
I, was, I, I literally could not get a phone call. Two weeks. By the end, I was in paradise. <laughs> it was hard. The first week, I was shaking a bit. <laughs> I had to go to a little detox clinic. It's amazing the hold, the pleasures of this world can get on us. The true mortification of our carnal nature. There's a handful in your mouth. The true mortification of our carnal nature is not a simple matter of denial and discipline. It is an internal spiritual matter of finding more contentment in Christ than in food. Fasting reinforces that it's not just God's good gifts that we hunger after, but it's God himself. And fasting reminds us that there is a hunger for the gifts of God that could sideline us from God himself. In other words, we can, we can get so focused on God's blessings, we can forget God. Our life can be filled with his goodness, but we forget the one who gives. We are less sensitive to spiritual appetites. We are less sensitive to spiritual appetites when we were in the bondage of physical ones. And the absence of fasting, I don't like this statement, the absence of fasting is the measure of our contentment with the absence of Christ. Yikes. Glad I'm the one telling you what to do. <laughs> Let me just say, this is challenging to all of us. Because a statement like that, it's like, that cuts to the quick. How content am I with just the stuff? With just the good gifts that God has given? All right, let's move on to some practical things because you know that's how I like to roll. The acts of resistance and the acts of embracing. Fasting is an act of resistance. It's not easy to do. I will tell you, it does get easier to do the more you do it because it's like any practice. The more you practice, the better you get. But I want to talk about this in the sense of acts of resistance and specifically fasting and the value of doing hard things. Just say, it's good for me to do hard things. But we're taught that a life of comfort and ease is the good life. It's not the good life. That's a bad goal. Bad goal. A good goal is to have a life that's filled with hardship, but you're greater than the hardship. A good goal is that hardship doesn't scare you, or maybe a little bit, but you know God has seen me through hardship in the past, and he will see me through hardship now. That's a different kind of good life. First Corinthians 9 it says, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, he's, talking, he's not talking about running here. He's talking about the way you live your life. Now, everyone who competes 
exercises self-control in anything, in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we, an imperishable crown. So I do not run like the one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline. That's all our favorite words, isn't it? Instead, I discipline my body and I bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul is talking about embracing hard things. Go into training. Compete like you want to win. Discipline your body. Bring it under control. Run with an aim. See, I believe difficult practices are actually vital to a good life. Doing things that are hard are good. Doing everything to be easy is not good. It doesn't lead us to a good place. Difficulty increases depth of character. Difficulty, in, it increases internal fortitude and strength. And so I want to just, this isn't really a practice, so to, so to say, but I want to encourage all of us, do something hard every day. Do something hard every day. Make the hard phone call. Have that difficult meeting. Stop and pause and pray in the middle of a hectic day's schedule. That is hard. Like, I'm just going to stop, stop everything, turn off all the noise, and pray? I got stuff to do. I'm an important person. Go for a hike that's further than you've gone before. Go for a run. Do something you haven't done. Do something hard. I do hard workouts because I think they make me better as a person. Like, when I work out, it's almost silly. (laughs) But hey, if you get it, you get it, don't you? If you do it, you understand. But if you do it, you also understand that this isn't just like, it's not just because I'm broken in a part of my brain that like, and I like this pain. <laughs> it's because you've come to understand doing this hard work, I actually feel better as a person after because I've done it. Once, uh, and I mean, there's, there's no worth, no, no one worse than a born-again CrossFitter. Like, that's... <laughs> but, you know, six times a week, I work out. And Jeremy meets me there. And we never phone each other in the morning and say, hey, do you feel like working out today? You know why? Because we never feel like working out <laughs> at 5.30 in the morning. But we have this standing appointment. We're showing up. And afterwards, it feels good. And why, why, would, you, why would you do that? Well, I, we, we can separate life into, we, we do these compartments. Well, this is spiritual and this is natural. So natural is not as important as spiritual. And that's not a biblical worldview. There's not a natural you and a spiritual you and a, and a, I don't know, a purple you and a pink you. 
There's just you. And what you do in your physical frame, it affects your spiritual life. If you don't take care of your natural body, that will affect your spiritual relationship with God. It's all one. We should just abandon the term spiritual. There's just you. 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Therefore, honor God with your body. Eating healthy. It's an act of worship. Working out brings honor to God. So, doing difficult things, it prepares us. Doing difficult things that we can, that we can control, that prepares us for difficult things that we can't control. And, you know, one of my other habits that I, that I do is I have, a, I have a freezer full of ice water in my garage. And it's set at two degrees. And I get in it. And I sit there for about five to seven minutes. And, you know, I'm never comfortable the whole time. But the first, the first time I got in, I, I couldn't control my reactions. Now I can just sit in it. I can just get in and sit down and get out. That has taught me the hard, doing the hard thing of getting in a chest full of ice water now has taught me how to control an anxious response to a hard situation. It's taught me because there's not a spiritual you and a physical you, there's just you. And so a physical skill can move into a spiritual realm. When you fast, Oh, I'm over time. Good grief. I had, I even cut down my notes so I could do this in time. When you fast, there's a physical, there's a, there's, there's a process in your body that takes place after you have fasted for eight hours. And that physical process is called autophagy. And autophagy is when your body starts cleaning out all of the Basically, it's all the broken down dysfunctional cellular material in your body begins to get cleaned up. But it doesn't even start for eight hours. So after eight hours, your body is starting to clean itself out. That's why, that's why if you followed the intermittent fasting, you'll say like having these 12 or 16 or even 20 hour windows, it allows your body to, to fix itself. When I would say, you know, in our spirit, it's the same. If we're just fed with little things all the time, we never get a chance to clean out the junk. If we're just entertained 24-7, it never gives us that time to reflect. It never gives us that time to, you know what, maybe I need to clean out some debris that's accumulated. So fasting, the spiritual practice of fasting, it's allowing our life to get cleaned out so that we can pursue that which is best. It's cleaning out the debris of food, of hunger, of appetites. It's cleaning out the debris of technology, social media, Netflix, shopping, just all that stuff that accumulates. So I want to I want to just leave us with a challenge. Is what's something you could fast? as an act of resistance in order to make room for something greater. Something greater, a greater relationship with God.
but also it might be a greater relationship with those around you. Maybe all the stuff is distracting you from the people that are in your world. If all the technology in the world shut off today, what would you be doing tonight? Well, maybe just go do that instead. Just... It's not magic. It won't change you in a day. But it's a long walk in the same direction of obedience that will take you to a better place than you'll ever get to just trying to be happy. And I think the ultimate goal is to finish, I'll conclude with the words of David, is to bring us to the place where we can say, I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, you are the strength of my heart and you're my portion forever. Let's stand up. Let's just close our eyes. And let's just take a moment and listen. God, what would you have me do? God, what, what things have I been nibbling at that have made me full so that I haven't hungered after more of you? I haven't hungered after the good things. Father, we desire a greater life than just what the comforts of this world alone have to offer. Lord, we want to we experience your presence in a way that it transcends any comfort that this world could give or any comfort that this world could bring. Father, those areas of our life where we have believed what our world has told us will satisfy, but you've said that you alone are the bread of life. You alone are the one that can fill those deepest needs in our life. And that pursuit of those, of of the things of the world trying to meet an eternal hunger will always come up short. Father, we desire you. We desire your presence. We desire your goodness. I'm just going to pray a prayer. Maybe you're here and you've never asked Jesus into your life. You've never prayed a prayer saying, God, I want you above all else. And you're saying today, I would like to know that kind of relationship with God. I would like to have that kind of love for God. I would like to have, I would like to follow his purpose. Then that we're going to pray together, whether you're in here or you're watching online. Let's, let's pray together, Jesus. I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want your best for my life. Would you come into my life now? Forgive me of my sin. Give me a new start so that I can follow you in Jesus' name.
Jesus' name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.